to another edition of Ticket Splitters, the Grassroots Midwest podcast. Our guest this week is State Representative Sarah Anthony. Sarah represents House District 68, which includes the city of Lansing and Lansing Township. Prior to her election to the House, she served Lansing residents as a member of the Ingham County Commission, including a term as chair, as well as previously serving as staff to popular former State Representative Joan Bauer, also Lansing. Thanks for joining us on Ticket Splitters. Thank you for having me. Um, so, as I mentioned in the intro, you staffed a lawmaker from Lansing prior to becoming an elected official yourself. A little over a year under your belt since you were first elected representative. How's your perspective on being a lawmaker changed now that you're a lawmaker? Yeah, and thanks again for having me. Now, I've been in reflective mode, right? So, it's November right mm-hmm. now, and almost exactly a year ago today, I started during the special election. And right. so, kind of a senior freshman of sorts, because you know I came in with this perspective that I knew a lot as former staff, and you know, you, I understand the legislative process, I understand the pace and the tone of, of things here at the Capitol, but what I wasn't expecting is coming in during the lame duck that we had, right? Yeah. So over 400 votes, most taken in the middle of the night, and seeing really the worst <laughs> type of governance and seeing you know things happen too fast and not having the type of context on the specific bills right. uh, that I was voting on, that was pretty jarring for me. Mm-hmm. And so things have been pretty slow <laughs> in relation to right? uh, lame duck. But they have not. Um, they have definitely been interesting. So I think it's been a, a humbling experience to, although having so much experience, there's nothing like being the representative. There's nothing that can compare prepare you for pushing the button and the amount of meetings and stakeholder and interest um, that you have to balance. So. It's been one of those things that I'm continuing to learn and just becoming more and more reflective as I hit that year mark. Yeah, no, that's. I think that's right. It's um, it's a lot different when the decisions that you're making are. It's your name that's attached to it. You know, right. it's not Representative Bauer. It's Representative Sarah yeah. Anthony. Yeah. And if people don't like what you did, they don't <laughs> let you hear about it. Yes, and, and and being in Lansing and being the rep here, I can never say I'm going back to the district. Right. You're here. I, I am constantly here, and uh, which is a blessing. I I will take it as a blessing because the people in Lansing never allow me to forget exactly who I'm serving. Right. They, I, you know, on my way to the Capitol, all in and around. The, the city, I'm always reminded with the, you know of, of who I'm here working for. So, right. Yeah. And um, your constituents are pretty plugged in because they live in the capital city. That's right. Um, you know they they have a better idea I think than people in most parts of the state of what's going on in that building because it's in their city. That's right. That's right. I mean I you know when we were uh, during the big budget negotiations right before the, the the possible shutdown. Right. I had to continue to remind folks on both sides of the aisle in the house, different people who have an interest in state government, that of the 50,000 state employees, 14,000 live in mid-Michigan, right? right? And so when you think about, you know, the even the threat of a shutdown mm-hmm. was something that I took personally, right? That you don't, you know, make those types of threats. You don't, you know, allow people to feel insecure. Many of the the meetings I had, I had to have the illustration that during that time period, I started to see my family story, right? The mm-hmm. fact that my father worked for the UAW and my mom worked for the state of Michigan, both, you know, and he was a UAW worker and still is at the General Motors plant. 
here in mid-Michigan. So you think about, fast forward to now, and I know that there were people in mid-Michigan who you know, were in that same boat, and both of those paychecks were vulnerable during a time. Right. And so being a state representative and having a say in at least one of those paychecks, being the state employees, I considered that you know almost a huge failure on the part of state government. And so being in mid-Michigan, there's just another layer of responsibility that I take really seriously. I think that's a great point and something that a lot of folks outstate didn't really think about necessarily, although they should have because it affected them to a certain extent too. There's a lot of state employees other places, but particularly for our region, um, you know, we had the UAW that was out on strike. Um, so, you know, in the example that you cited, you got one family member who's on strike pay, so what, about two fifty a week, correct. Um, correct? Which is not much, yep. um, especially if you're raising a family. And then you have another paycheck that you're not even sure if they're going to get paid two weeks from that's now. Right. That's um, right. And that's uh, that's a lot of insecurity for one family to deal with, and there are thousands of those families in the region. Absolutely. You know, I I was told by my predecessor, even both of them, uh, current mayor Andy Shore and Joan Bauer. That one thing that is a blessing about this seat, and particularly my view um, mm-hmm. in the House office building, is that I'm the only one of all of the state representatives and senators that looks out of that window mm-hmm. and sees my district, right? right. Well, of the representatives, right? We do have a senator in Michigan. But in terms of state representatives, I can look at my actual district. And you know, my advice to myself on a, a very regular basis to look beyond that capital. Right. Look at the West Side neighborhood that Mm -hmm. are real people that are there. It's my constant reminder that the politics under that dome are one thing, but Mm -hmm. the people who actually reside in this community actually reflect who I'm working for. And so that's been the lens that I've tried to take in this first year. Yeah, that's a great point, too. You are uh, you can see them um, right out your window (laughs) in the office. uh, There's the people I'm serving walking around on the street going about their business. (laughs) Um, so you've obviously been able to gain some uh, long-term perspective on politics and policy in the capital city and the region in, uh, in the years you've been doing public service. What do you see as the most important issues that are facing our region right now? That's right. You know, I've never asked about the really big issues, right? The philosophical issues when mm-hmm. I'm at coffee hours and, you know, community organizations and church basements. I'm asked about, you know, the table issues, the pocketbook issues. Mm-hmm. People want fair wages. People want um, water that they actually can trust when it's coming out of their faucet. Yeah. They want roads that are okay, right? They mm-hmm. want to be able to pay for their children's childcare and they want to make sure when their kids are growing up, they're getting the same type of education as the school district a couple miles from them. They really just want to be okay. And they want people that are going to fight for them to be okay. And so, you know, it's one of those things that, especially in caucus politics, right, but Republican, Democratic caucus politics, you can often get swayed by the really big divisive issues. Mm -hmm. But I constantly have to remind myself to think about those people beyond the Capitol. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 90% of the time, they are just worried about making it day to day. And so I never want to lose sight of that. And I think that that's going to bode well for me now and also in the future. Yeah, I agree. And that's one of the advantages, I think, of serving in a state legislature as opposed to the Congress or the U.S. Senate is, you know, you are much closer to the people that you serve. It's very easy in D.C. to get lost in the big divisive, um, you know, ideological issues. 
And, you know, there are, there are certainly people that care about those, but what people care about the most is, is the water going to come on? Um, right. Are my kids going to eat tomorrow? <laughs> um, is Am, am I going to um, lose a rim in a That's pothole right. on my way to work? Right. Um, and, you know, we can worry about all that other stuff later, but, like, <laughs> am I going to be okay, That's like right. you said? That's right. When, when I go home, on my way home today, when I stop at the grocery store at Kroger, mm-hmm. I think that if I just talk to some random strangers, which I normally do, I think probably one of the 10 people will be asking me about impeachment, right? right? The rest of the folks are going to be complaining to me about the construction on Martin Luther King Boulevard, right? Mm-hmm. They're going to be asking me about snow removal, and they're going to be asking me about the trash pickup. Mm-hmm. They are going to be asking me about how their lives are either better or worse um, because of the people that they've elected, including me. Yeah. And so, and I always want to stay true to that. Um, and I, I love the fact that my parents raised somebody who can chew gum and walk at the same time. So I can deal with the big stuff, but never lose focus of the of the real issues affecting people in mid-Michigan. That's, that's super important. And I think it's something that a lot of elected officials can kind of lose sight of. The most important question that you can ask and answer um, as an elected official from the perspective of your constituents is what's in it for me you got to be able to answer that question for them right. and I, impeachment i mean maybe that's gonna make you feel good or feel bad if you're a democrat or a republican that's but right. i can't tell you what's in that for you right. like we fix your road i can tell you exactly what's in that for you you got it yeah. you got it yeah um so all right so as one of 110 members of the michigan house what do you what do you view as your role in addressing those kitchen table issues as a state representative? Yeah, so I like being a state representative because it's so connected to real people, right? Mm-hmm. And so oftentimes I try to play the role of communicator in chief, right? Yeah. The person that can distill all of those conversations that are happening at the Capitol, right? Take away some of the politics and really make it real for people. Yeah. Because some of those big issues, many of those even divisive issues, do impact people's lives, but they just haven't had effective communicators to really break it down, right? Um, And so a part of my role is to be as accessible as possible, to uh, be honest with people, um, and then ultimately instill enough trust in me to Mm -hmm. say, I'm going to have your back even if I'm not checking in with you every single day before every single vote. And so the moment we lose sight of being communicators and advocates for the people we represent, we have lost our mark. And I think that, you know, being a county commissioner and being so connected to local issues, be it health department and stuff with the sheriff's department, it was great training. It literally helped me um, in a very low profile job be able to um, connect with real people. And that training, has, I think, has both very has has served me well yeah. in this position. So absolutely. Yeah. So traditionally, uh, voting politics is an older person's game. Mm-hmm. Um, in the last several years, um, we've seen a pretty pronounced uptick in younger people getting involved. Whether that's around issues like gun violence, around candidates like Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. Or running for office themselves. Um, you know, we just saw that over in Lansing's first ward with uh, yeah. with Brandon Betts, a uh, right. young man right. that uh, managed to defeat an incumbent um, from a prior generation. Mm-hmm. You got involved with politics as a young twenty-something. Um, <laughs> I'm at, not at, still twenty-something. Uh, I'm not, not going to make any comment. I'm just saying when you started, I, I, I don't do that. They can Google it. Smart man. Absolutely. Um, so, but you got Im- involved in politics as a twenty-something. And um, what advice do you have for young people, um, both about why they should get involved in politics and where is a good place to start? 
Yeah. I mean, there are so many issues that impact uh, younger people, right? And, you know, one of the entree conversations I have with young folks is around student loan debt, mm, right? Yeah. The fact that it can be crippling to folks, right? We, including me, tells mm-hmm. folks that a real good path out of poverty uh, is through a higher education, right? Mm-hmm. A two-year degree, a four-year degree. And we also see folks who are saddled with hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loan debt as a result of taking advice from folks like me to pursue education beyond high school. That is a an issue that so many people in my generation are struggling with, and it mm-hmm. has forced folks to get more involved in, you know, talking to decision making, decision makers, mostly at the federal level, but about why education is so unaffordable, right? What Mm -hmm. is the path um, ahead? How can we actually do better, if not just the same as our parents, right? Um, So I think pocketbook issues are hitting a lot of young people and a lot of it's frustrating. A lot of folks are angry. Um, I was at a community meeting last night and we were debating and just talking about uh, the presidential election uh, next year. And mm-hmm. this is a progressive group. And so they were just kind of talking about the different Democratic candidates. Mm-hmm. And one person is struck with me. They said, well, I don't care who it is. As long as a Democrat, I'm going to you know, stand behind them. Mm-hmm. And someone else, a younger person said, that's not me. I, I don't see um, me just being a Democrat you know, and falling in line with whoever. I want to vote for who I want to vote for, who aligns with my interests. Um, I want to fall in love with my mm-hmm. candidate, right? And many times that's why Democrats lose, um, mm-hmm. because we need these perfect candidates that are pure. Yeah. But I admire young people who will step out on faith and say, I want to I want someone to serve me that aligns with my interests. And so mm-hmm. I think that, you know, while some of the older generation um, don't understand some of those purity tests and it. I, 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 I want to give some grace to young people and I'm really encouraged by how many are not just complaining and retweeting and liking things on social media, but they're actually getting involved in real ways. Yeah. We saw it all around Michigan. We're seeing it around the country. Um, mm-hmm. I work, I uh, am a member of the Young Elected Officials Network and that continues to grow uh, even as I kind of age out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um I think that it's really encouraging. And the advice I would give to young people is, you know, lead with more than just your youth, right? You being the bright and shiny thing wears off real fast. Mm -hmm. And people don't just want young people for the sake of them being young. But what are you going to do that's innovative? What what kind of fresh perspective are you going to bring to the table? And the most impressive thing that any candidate can bring is being competent. And so leading with competence as opposed to age, I think, is my biggest advice I give young people. Yeah, I think that that's good advice, and it, um, you know, it, that leads right into have, having a vision for the future. You need to be competent, but also when people vote for young candidates, it tends to be because they feel like that younger candidate has got a vision for the future. Right. And particularly, I think, for Democrats, I mean, if you look at the last several presidential elections for Democrats, Democrats typically do best when they nominate a candidate that's a little on the younger side that has that forward-looking vision. Um, Democrats are always going to do badly in a nostalgia contest, as it turns out. Um, (laughs) It's not really their brand. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. You can even look at our uh, the House Democratic Caucus. Yeah. Right. It it is becoming and and a and our Democratic um, Party as a state. 
we are becoming more diverse in terms of race and gender and age and demographics, right? This isn't a game that you have to be super wealthy or be, you know, one of the establishment folks. And so I think the more we can embrace that as mm-hmm. opposed to buck up against it, the better. Yeah, that, that sounds right. And um, see, you're obviously a professional at this because you teed me up for my follow-up question, um, which is, you know, finding your place in politics can be difficult for anyone uh, but women face a lot of challenges that men traditionally haven't had to face in politics. Um, women make up slightly more than half the population of our country, um, and yet you make up less than a third of the Michigan Senate. Now, the House does a little bit better. Um, the 2018 elections were pretty good for that. So how do we as a state do better at encouraging and supporting women in representing their communities? What sort of barriers need to come down um, mm-hmm. to make that more possible and uh, feel more accessible for women? Yeah, I think some of the work, this is kind of a softer answer, some of the work we need to do is make politics more attractive in general to people. When yeah. we talk about politics as a nasty sport, something that is you know, gritty and it's a game, that is not attractive to anyone, let alone women, right. who oftentimes just want to get things done who want to be in a noble profession. And I still believe that politics is a noble profession. It's one of service, which many women just by nature are folks who are naturally folks who want to serve, right? Who want to see the people around them, be it their families, friends, communities, workplaces, be better. And being able to identify those types of traits and translate them to politics for women, I think is important. You know, I've been traveling across the state in my role as Democratic Caucus Chair and just my role as a good thought partner to people Mm -hmm. um, and also helping candidates. And all along the way, when I'm talking to women um, who some are on the ballot, some are not going to be on the ballot, but just are interested in getting more involved in politics. The number one thing I have to um, share with them is that you have a place in politics, right? It doesn't have to be on the ballot. It can be at the grassroots level. It could be at a house party that you're hosting. But just make demystifying politics for women, mm-hmm. I think, is the first step. And then also acknowledging that there is diversity within uh, you know, our gender, right? Of course. Women, especially this year in the house, they come from all different walks of lives and incomes and sectors and bring this diverse array of skill sets and showcasing all those skill sets from scientists to you know business owners to folks who have just set out a career in public service like myself there are a variety of perspectives that i think women from all walks of life can see themselves in just even in our caucus this year so um i think we have a ways to go to make sure that these institutions are more inclusive uh, and that starts with people like me. That starts with um, also a lot of male allies on both sides of the aisle who mm-hmm. can make our environment more inclusive. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that that's absolutely right. And it's, um, you know, I think the other thing, and this goes, I guess this goes for women and for men, but I feel like, um, especially for a lot of women that um, are sort of dipping their toe into politics, whether that's as an elected official or, um, you know, as legislative staff or some sort of operative, um, that there, there are a lot of discouragements out there for women um, in politics. And that's one of the things that I thought was um, 
pretty remarkable about your trajectory, you lost your first race. That's right. Um, that's right. And you weren't willing to take no for an answer. <laughs> um, and I think that that's, um, that's something that we've got to encourage more of with women and with folks in general um, with public services. Look, you might lose the first time you run. That's right. um, and that doesn't mean that you should give up on public service or trying to make your community better. Um, you know, you it, politics... Uh, can be those nasty things you talked about, but even when politics is at its best, it's hard. That's right. And you're going to lose sometimes. That's right. That's right. And I think that the number one thing that I've tried to, um, that I've tried to instill in myself and guide the work that I've done, is to win or lose or you know anything that I'm doing, it needs to be done with integrity and grace. Mm -hmm. Because whether it is the Lansing bubble, the Michigan bubble, this world is too small to uh, build a reputation that lacks integrity and honesty. Yeah. Um, and even in that first race, uh, if my reputation was shot <laughs> and folks didn't uh, respect the work and how we ran that campaign, I cannot see a trajectory that has taken me where I am today. So. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, so um, another hobby horse of mine, something that you and I have talked about um, quite a bit in the past, um, is the sort of future of black leadership in Michigan. Um, the chairman of the Michigan Legislative Black Caucus just got elected mayor of Flint, um, so there's going to be an opening there. Um, seems like a good time to sort of return to this discussion. you have any inkling of who's going to replace Mayor Neely as uh, chair of the caucus? Yeah, so our uh, the Michigan Legislative Black Caucus bylaws um, uh, promotes the, uh, I think it's the first vice president, or the first vice chair, okay. which would be uh, Senator Marshall Bullock out of Detroit. Okay. Um, this is also his first term. And I think that he is excited, and I think that there's going to be some new ideas and new energy that comes from Senator Bullock. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, this one thing that I really respected about Representative Neely is uh, his lens for uh, promoting young leadership. He yes. was not someone that needed to always um, get the credit and be in the front, in the, in the, the limelight. He was very inclusive in that way, mm -hmm. and so I think that uh, each of us, uh, particularly African Americans in any leadership position, needs to do a good job of um, both lifting as we climb, right? So yes. my one of my predecessors was uh, the late Reverend Michael C. Murphy, yep. and he was uh, the chair of the Michigan Legislative Black Caucus, which was a little bit interesting because he was from Lansing, right? and uh, I'm only the second African American to serve in... Uh, this capacity as state representative from Lansing, the first African-American woman. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that there is usually a sense that only our urban communities can, um, uh, you know, can, can elect black leadership. And I just, I think that's ridiculous, right? Mm -hmm. I think that there are, you know, black folks like me who can come from non-majority, minority districts, right, mm -hmm. not urban districts, and still be successful um, and get elected in offices. And so um, I think the more we can be intentional mm -hmm. about uh, supporting candidates from different areas that are not urban areas, I think that uh, that would be wise for us. And also building a pipeline of uh, careers that are related to politics or right. around politics that are not elected, right? Mm -hmm. That's our campaign managers. That's our consultants that we use. Mm -hmm. You know, there needs to be an equity lens in all of this world that we call um, politics, right? So, mm -hmm. and, and as a man of color, I know, I mean, I, I don't know how many folks do what you do. Right. In Lansing, right? And that's a point of pride that um, I think we all can celebrate and embrace, and there needs to be much more of it. 
Well, and I'm glad you brought up the mentorship thing because from my own perspective, you know, that was, I cannot overstate the importance of that to the career that I've been able to build right. for myself. Um, you know, the reason that I got hired onto central staff with the House Democrats was largely the work of another black staffer and former representative, uh, the Reverend Mike Murphy, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, because there um, there was only one other um, uh, black person on central staff at the time, um, and that got brought to his attention, and he was willing to help um, bring some talent along. You know, there were folks like um, former state representative Marsha Cheeks, who That's picked right. me out of the chorus for my first job in the legislature, and uh, you know, former representative George Cushenberry from Detroit, who brought me along, and, you know, a, 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 a black lobbyist at GCSI is the one that picked me out of the chorus um, to come work at the state's biggest uh, lobby firm. And so, you know, you really can't overstate how important that mentorship is. And like you said, bringing folks along as we climb. That's, right. um, that's, that's maybe the most important thing, right. I think, for getting folks involved. And you brought up another great point, I think, which is um, increasing black representation from local government um, in the legislature. Um, at a certain point, we're going to top out with, um, you know, Detroit and Flint, um, okay. these majority minority communities. Um, and there, uh, you pointed out rightly, um, it's been relatively rare um, for African Americans to get elected from non-majority minority districts. Right. There have certainly been examples, you know, yourself, um, Reverend Robert Dean. That's right. Um, there, there have been a few. Uh, Kalamazoo. Kalamazoo, um, Robert Jones. That's right. That's um, right. So th there have been a few examples. Um, but what do you think needs to happen to you know, increase black representation from local government to the legislature? I think it's a couple of things. I think it's building the pipeline, right? So, you know, what do, does the compositions of the county commissions look like, right? The city yeah. councils. Uh, and then also looking at the county parties. Right, mm -hmm. which sometimes can be very clicky mm -hmm. and not uh, a breeding ground for cultivation and mentorship. Right, so starting really early, I know a lot of bright young people in you know Saginaw and Muskegon and all these other places uh, and and non-urban areas that go that get their college degrees and come home and they're looking for something to do. They're looking mm -hmm. to work. They they want to be involved in their communities. And oftentimes the old guards will say, "Well, just wait your turn." Right. Um, or they don't see them as um, ready for leadership or even worthy of investing in that mentorship opportunity. So I think the more that we can be building that pipeline, the better. Yeah. Um, and I think that we as members of the Black Caucus can be more intentional in that regard. And you can't see what you, you can't be what you can't see. Mm -hmm. And so um, the more they can see us and the diversity that we bring, I think the better. We mm -hmm. have educators, we have folks um, who are experts in the judicial system, right? We have all these different sectors that um, we can really be proud of and showcase in Michigan, and mm -hmm. we just need to really be intentional about it. And, mm -hmm. and also, I mean, I think that there is something to be said about, you know, the mentors that whether they were African-Americans, like one of my mentors um, was my first boss as a high school internship uh, with Mary Waters. Sure. Right. And uh, just seeing her. Right. I was nothing but, you know, an 18 year old and, you know, putting stickers on the booklets. Right. But just mm -hmm. seeing her. I didn't even know it at the time, sparked an interest in doing that work. And so to be in this seat that she was, it just, it's like mind boggling to me. Yeah. But I know that just seeing her presence there mattered. And so the more we can build a pipeline of internship opportunities um, and also volunteer opportunities for, for kids of color, I think the better. 
Yeah, no, and that's a good point, too, um, that you raised in the context of Mary and very similar to my own experience. I mean, I have a few of those formative experiences really from childhood before I even was old enough to get involved in politics. I mean, I remember the first time I met Ron Dellums. I remember the first time I met <laughs> Willie Brown. Yeah. And I was just fascinated by these men. Um, and that's uh, that never went away. Um, right. And so I think some of that really is just... Um, exposing young people to the opportunities for service at a young age, right. whether that's as an elected official or as a consultant, as a staffer, as a campaign manager, as any number of things, okay. um, exposing kids to those opportunities that are out there, I think sort of helps to engender some of that interest early. That's right. Um, the other thing, and I think this is, um, I think this is something that um, particularly people of color get told um, as they're exploring public service opportunities for election, and I'm sure you got some of this when you were starting out, um, is people telling you to wait your turn. That's right. Um, and what I always tell folks is, don't wait your turn. Wait till you're ready, yes. but don't wait your turn. That's right. Because it's never going to be your turn. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and there are so many... Uh, instances I think in the lives of young people and even people of color that they are uh, strategically I think discouraged from right. as like my my nieces and my younger brothers will say from shooting their shot right yep. from actually reaching for the stars the audacity to even dream of being an elected official or being in other leadership positions is often squashed from the moment it you know is even crawls out of your brain or out of your mouth right mm -hmm. and i just have always uh, rejected that notion being ready mm -hmm. and making sure that you're qualified and competent is one thing and I, I you know i do think that some of us get out there before we're really ready but ultimately um, just having the audacity of dreaming something mm -hmm. um, should never be squashed and I'm always going to be rooting for folks who want to take their service to the next level, whatever that level is. Yeah, and I mean, you raise an interesting point too about folks getting in a little too early. I mean, you know, I, I go back to the example of your first race for school board, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. which you didn't win. You know, I, I would argue that you were very much ready. You didn't win that race, but it also... I know just from talking to you, taught you a lot about campaigning and That's made right. you a better candidate when you went out to run for county commission. That's right. Um, That's right. And so, you know, sometimes a beating in politics is helpful. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's, it definitely will humble you. It definitely will. So, yeah. But I, I think ultimately, um, you know, the audacity of just getting out there. Yes. Right. Um, shouldn't be scary. It should and it should be welcomed because every one of my mentors that I either uh, leaned on during that race or gained after that race mm -hmm. um, have really guided me along the way and has helped me navigate some political potholes that um, I'm just very thankful for for their presence. But they've never squashed my dreams. They've helped me navigate them. Right. And maybe right size them a bit, but they yeah. have never, never squashed them. Well, that's all I got for you today. I really want to thank you for coming on the program. It's uh, You're the first freshman lawmaker that we, well, well like you said, uh, senior freshman, right? The, the, the senior freshman lawmaker the on dean the program. Of the dean of the freshman <laughs> class. That's even better. That's even better. My so, colleagues are going to kill me. <laughs> but I'm going to get a good laugh out of it, and so will our listeners. Oh so I want to thank you so much for coming on the program. State Representative Sarah Anthony from House District 68, thanks for being on Ticket Splitters. Thank you.